a series entitled Why Are You a Christian, which uh, stems out of uh, a lot of inquiry that we've been having over the last several weeks and months, well, for many of us, for many years, actually. And in this particular series, rather than giving you a, a talk uh, or a bunch of talks in the series, we decided to have a conversation. So last week, we had a, a wonderful conversation with Pastor Tom and Omer, who are part of our leadership and teaching team here, um, just to share, actually hear more stories and a little bit of their struggle. And I hope that, again, this spurs each and every one of us on to be uh, to feel free and compelled to have those conversations in our circles of influence, whether it's a small group or our families or uh, the circles that you run in, and maybe even especially for you personally. Why are you a Christian? What is it that compels you to continue along this way? And we tackle a variety of subjects in, uh, along the way, such as science, uh, church, uh, complicated church backgrounds and history as we did last week. And today we're going to get to some more of that. So this is Pastor Marcus and Pastor Danielle. Please say hello and give a welcome to them. <laughs> uh, most of you know uh, Pastor Danielle, obviously. And then Pastor Marcus is uh, one of our pastors that joined us recently as part of our team to help uh, shape and lead our congregation as well as participate in the teachings and stuff. So we're just so grateful. Um, one of the things that we absolutely love about Spark and what you all have created here is this uh, beautiful, diverse set of voices and people that contribute to the leadership of this congregation. And so Tom and Omer and Marcus are a part of that, and so we're so grateful uh, for I, I would just note that, it's, that Marcus has only lately joined us or more recently joined us in terms of official pastor, but he's been pastoring for a long time and a lot of other contexts and also been part of Spark since the beginning. So, um, yeah. Maybe. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't just get here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so we have two categories for our conversation. I'm going to start off with story. And so maybe, um, Marcus, we'll start with you. Would you mind just sharing us a, a brief uh, three to five, six-minute version? How did you become a Christian? Like, what was the story that led up to maybe a conversion, or did you grow up in it? Do you even identify still as a Christian? So we're going to start with story, and then I have some um, more pr- prodding questions later on. Okay. And then we'll get to Danielle. All right. Three to five minutes? All right. So it's interesting because that used to be my favorite question, like ask my wife. Like I think the very first time she met me, she asked me how to come to know Jesus. And it was great because I got to talk about my two favorite things. That's myself. And <laughs> I love me. And, uh, and I think wrestling. And so, uh, but, uh, yeah, w- within those contexts. So how to become a Christian. So the first 11 years of my life, I grew up in Compton, California. And during the 80s, um, like kind of crack boom, so saw a lot of stuff, um, and went to a Christian school, Optimal Christian Academy, and you know we went to um, chapel twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So, and it was kind of like Sunday school, and then we'd go to church off and on. And then my mom got remarried in '91, so it brought us up here to the Bay Area, and um, we didn't go to church much, and we we just didn't, and. Somewhere along the line, I think high school, middle school, somewhere along the line there, there was the, you know, just kind of the disconnect. I think we were more cultural than anything. I, I do remember getting baptized at five, but it was, I think my brothers and my mom had taken an altar call, and I was like, where are you guys going? So I followed them. <laughs> and I was like, I guess I'm getting baptized sometime soon. <laughs> Got dipped in the water and everything. I was like, I guess I'm a Christian now. Um, and then I think at 16, I think 16 or 15, I kind of made the conscious choice that I was going to be atheist. And uh, like, because, uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, going from like small faith uh, or, or just kind of within a small Baptist context to a lot of different faiths and seeing their validity. And also, let, let me just be honest, like a lot of Christian people I knew, they, 
it was rough. They was like the roughest people because they'd be like, I love Jesus one moment, and then, well, their actions, and Jesus, I don't know. Like, maybe mm-hmm. it was immature. It was just, you know, like some of the most violent people I knew were Christians. Some of the more promiscuous males I knew were Christians. Some of the more disrespectful individuals to authority I knew were Christians. And so, and then that's not even mentioned like some of the different kind of other hypocrisy I saw. A couple years later, right out of high school, I ended up going down to Southern California. One of my brother's wrestling coaches at the time, him and his wife like loved each other, which was a new concept to me. Not to say that my wife, my, my, my parents didn't, but it was kind of neat seeing people like being married for a long time and, and like still like each other. So that was, that was new because a lot of infidelity in my uh, family background. It, that appealed to me. I had a girlfriend at the time, thought that's what I kind of wanted. Later on, I just ended up at a church in Pasadena, Calvary Chapel, Pasadena on Colorado Avenue. And uh, they, they, their altar call was after, like, I guess you just kind of went up there and said you did it, but I thought that you go in this room, pray, and they give you a Bible. So I was like, I already got a Bible. So I remember somewhere in October of 2000, I became a Christian. And I thought, well, what the heck, at that particular point, I was like, eh, this atheist thing, Eh, I'm kind of spiritual. I guess I lean closer towards this Christian thing anyway. That was it. One much thought out about it was like, I guess I'll just do this. I just <laughs> wasn't, wasn't like, ooh, Jesus didn't move the earth. It was just like, I'll just try this right now. I had no clue. <laughs> 18 years later. So. And now you're a pastor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was neat because I was like bump guy at some point. Now it's like, hey, yeah, welcome on in, Jesus. <laughs> Team Jesus. Now, now, for those who may not know, what is an altar call? Yeah, so an altar call is, yeah, see, that's how far Christian am. I'm using <laughs> Christian language now. So basically what that is is that in some of the larger mainline Protestant or evangelical churches, what they do is there's this moment. And if you're in church, you're sitting there walking around or, or you're listening, and they give you a decision. And in that decision, you choose to go to Jesus. Because if you don't go to Jesus, you're going to hell. And so... Like, it's like, you know, well, <laughs> that's the way they play. That's the way it's framed. You know? like, you know, like, you're going to hell if you don't choose Jesus. It, 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 you know, very binary kind of decision. You and either so, come forward or there's a trap yeah, door. Yeah, there, yeah, there's a, yeah, exactly. That's what it feels like. So it's, uh, you kind of come forward, um, like, in a service. You walk up there. Someone takes you to another room. It's very cult-like, actually. Like, <laughs> it really is. Like, no, if you think about it, like, you go up in front of a whole bunch of people, and then, like, these other people you don't know bring you into another small room, and, and no one knows what's going on in this small room, but apparently, like, you're, you're you know, and so that, that was my mo- co- conversion moment, except for I didn't walk up, nor did I uh, go into a small room, although I will say that later on, I ended up going to uh, our adult church we used to work at, and then I was like, I'm going to take the altar call, and did that, and formally went through that process, but I had already done it, but basically because I recommitted, but that just, that's just Jesus' term for, I was a Christian, but I wasn't living it, so I was, I was, I knew I shouldn't, you know, living right, I was wilding out, so, <laughs> with the Jesus sticker on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, awesome. Uh, Danielle, would you mind giving us your three to five, six minute sure. version? Um, I grew up in a Christian home, and 
Um, by that I mean we we didn't actually do like a lot of reading the Bible. Like we didn't read the Bible before we went to bed at night, or we prayed before we ate dinner, but not breakfast. You don't have to pray before you eat breakfast; just dinner. Um, and so, but but there was a lot of emphasis on God's love and God's love for us, you know, for for the world specifically. And there was a lot of emphasis on grace. I grew up in a Lutheran church. Uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America um, was the that f- for those who are familiar with Lutheranism, there are diversities within Lutheranism, and so you could be more conservative or more liberal, for lack of better words, for both of those things. And the ELCA tends to be on the more um, I don't know open-ended things. So there was a very high emphasis on God's love and God's grace. And I remember growing up, <clears throat> our home was. Uh, between two churches, we had like, there were two cul-de-sacs, we were on one, and our cul-de-sac was closest to Holy Spirit Catholic Church, which had also a really nice big parking lot to ride your bike. Um, and then, and my best friend went there. And then two over was the church we went to, which was Bethlehem Lutheran Church, and we could see the the rooftop of that church from our backyard with like nice stained glass. And I, you know, as a kid, we'd walk to church in the morning. So my mom would like sort of kick us out of the house Sunday mornings and say, go to Sunday school. And Sunday school was on your own at nine 30 in the morning. So we'd leave the house around nine 15, nine 30. And sometimes it was extra cold. And, you know, I knew that my friend was overdoing catechism at the church that was one block closer, just the opposite direction. So I remember saying, how can we just don't go there? It's closer. Like, what's the big deal? Like, won't you pick the one that you have to walk shorter distance to. And <clears throat> I'm not saying that this is true at all, but this was the answer that my mom gave me. And my mom's answer was, we go to this other church because of the grace. And so her, the explanation for me wasn't so much a negative view of, of Catholics, but was more just grace is so important. We have to walk an extra block for it. I don't know if that makes sense. So, um, so we had to go an extra block in order to ensure that we had an experience with a God that was, uh, deeply forgiving and loving. And if you've never been to a Lutheran service, there's a lot of liturgy. There is not an altar call. Um, but you say confessions of faith every Sunday. And so we would say the Apostles' Creed, and I can still memorize that and, uh, and still recite it for you right now. Um, we would have communion only first and third Sundays of every month. I don't know why. I think that was just to be different than the Catholic Church for some reason. It was still doing it every Sunday. I don't know. Lutherans and Catholics have an issue um, dating back to the 1600s. Um, so, uh, and that was part of my learning experience too, was church history of, of Martin Luther. And we'd go through Luther's catechism and, and talk through all of that. And so in the liturgy every Sunday, there was a public confession of sin. Um, and we would all together as a community stand up and say, uh, Lord, we confess to you that we have sinned against you. And, and we, in, in that moment, as a kid growing up, I don't know if you remember how many times you got in trouble as a kid growing up, but I was an older sibling, and so there was lots of times when I wasn't, like, you know, too rough with my sister or not doing the right thing. I don't know. Anybody, kid, getting busted all the time? So um, I was a good kid, but my mom was very attentive. And so I remember thinking pretty much every week, I need to ask God for some help like constantly. And I loved that. I loved that every single Sunday I came into a community of people where everyone was saying, everyone, including the pastors, everyone said, we missed it this week, but we can do better. And God is ready and willing to receive that apology and he can make us new again. And that was part of that liturgy that I just grew up saying every weekend. I can make mistakes. 
and I can try again, which is something I say to my, my daughter all the time. You can make a mistake and you can try again. And that was built in. So that, I think for those aspects of grace and love, um, those things shaped me and continue to be foundational to my experience with, with Jesus today. And then um, when I was in elementary school, my aunt, um, many of you know her because she's also a pastor in the area. Uh, my aunt Janice Patterson and, and my uncle Dick Patterson and, and my cousins, my aunt sent um, one of her kids and myself and then my sister and I, she and my mom coordinated, and we went to Mount Hermon Redwood Camp for a week when I, I think it was about fifth grade. And I, because I was the oldest cousin, oldest grandchild, had to go in the week by myself. And I was really, it was sleepaway camp. I was scared. I didn't want to go. Um, but I went, and I had a really wonderful friend. Like, the moment I walked in, she had a teddy bear. I had a teddy bear. We kind of locked eyes. And I was like, you're my girl. And then we had, we had a week together. Um, and so in that time, they are also very good at presenting you with an option. It wasn't so direct because, you know, it's kids. It's not like yeah. turn or burn. But um, <laughs> it was much more like you need to make this decision and you need to choose to give your life to Jesus. Now, this was actually very different language than I had experienced in the Lutheran Church growing up. We, you know, it's evangelical Lutheran Church of America, but it wasn't evangelical in like the non-denominational way. It, we didn't do altar calls. Um, it was more... Um, I didn't even get baptized in, in my Lutheran church, even though you baptized infants, because my parents wanted us to make our own decision. So it was more just, this is what you did together as a family. And in fact, my family, honestly, we took a lot of Sundays off during the summer. It was like, just like school. You didn't have to go to school in the summer. You kind of didn't have to go to church in the summer. Um, so, <laughs> so I went to camp, and by myself, sitting on a tennis court where the white lines meet at the end of the court, um, and I was making sure that I was saying crisscross this way. I remember opening up my Bible and then all of a sudden um, having this experience where I'll get Terry talking about it. I felt like I could see myself from up above and, and I could see me like through God's eyes, if that makes sense. And so I just saw myself as this little kid, a little girl sitting by herself, holding open a Bible and trying to understand the person of Jesus and in that moment, I had this awareness that I was not in charge. I don't know if that, that makes sense. That was the, the moment. It wasn't, it wasn't, oh, Jesus loves me. I knew that. I don't think I ever grew up in a time when I didn't think that Jesus loved me because the church was such a healthy place. Um, but, but I didn't know that I didn't want to be in charge. And so when I sat there, I was, and I'm an older child and my mom is very driven, and I like being in charge, actually. So, um, so I started a church. Um, so, so I sat there, and I remember praying and saying, okay, uh, you're in charge, and I'm yours. And, and that was it. That was, that was the essence of that. I didn't do it in the group camp experience. I don't know that I ever really talked about it a lot with my camp counselor. Uh, we, we wrote back and forth a little bit afterwards. But I came home, like... Like Jesus, 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 and my mom was like, "Whoa, Charlie, this is a lot of Jesus." Like I think she immediately regretted the camp experience, <laughs> and um, and then following that, I had a conversation with my dad, and he was saying he worked really hard when I was growing up. He was always working hard, and I remember him having to go on a business trip or something like that. And I was like, "Well, do you like your job?" And he said, "No, I don't like it." 
My dad's a retired lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps, so he just does the next right thing because it's the next right thing and you do it. And he's really, like, he's very, he's an incredible man. Um, so he just did it because that's how he's provided for his family. It didn't matter if he liked it or not, right? He was just going to get up and do it. And I remember thinking, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> that's really admirable, but I hope I can get paid to do something that I love to do. So I went and wrote a list of all things I love to do, and I looked at it, and it was like helping people, studying the Bible, um, teaching people about Jesus, um, like going to the soup kitchen, baby, like doing child care. Um, I was in speech contests for California in junior high, so I liked speaking, and so I, I did that, and I liked acting, but not enough to do it all the time, so I was kind of like, well, yeah, my pastor could probably be in the church Christmas pageant if he wanted to, so that would be fine, and I like choir, but not enough to do it all the time, so I could do all, so I had all these things, and I, and I went, and I was like, okay, I'm going to be a pastor, like it hits, it checks all these boxes, and I went and told my mom I was going to be a pastor, and she was like, no, 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 church is something you do on Sundays, it's not something we do all week long, and you need to continue to pursue like any other job that could pay you more money then. And it wasn't like, it was just, she honestly, to be fair, like if Phoebe told me she wanted to be a pastor, I might be like, let's keep talking (laughs) because it's, you have to, you want to hear your pastor say that you, you should only do it if, if that's what you're supposed to do, Mm -hmm. because it's not easy. Uh, It's very difficult. It's very vulnerable. It's tough. It's a, a world of critique. Uh, people rarely tell you when they like what you preached, yep. but they'll always tell you afterwards when they didn't like it. Um, I regularly feel like there's one person from any place, you know, it's just, there can be hard things. There's lots of good things about it. And I can tell you all about those things too. Um, but so because I'd had that moment on the tennis court, I knew my mom was wrong. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I was like, mom, I love you. And I'm supposed to submit to you. Cause I read that in my Bible on one of my very fervent days. Um, but you're not in charge. I'm not in charge either. God is in charge. So I, I have to do this thing. And that's, that kind of set, set off the rest of the trajectory. And they're very proud of me today. They're, they come and celebrate Spark and have been super supportive throughout the journey. Um, but there were rough patches in between only because a parent wants to make sure you can eat. Like, that's it, right? Like, they want to make sure you can eat and live and, and fair enough and all those good things. So, so that, why am I a Christian? I had an experience with Jesus. Um, and then I had continued experiences with Jesus. And there are places, I grew up near the Redwoods and I grew up in Northern California where I can go and sit and I can feel like I am more aware of God's presence in the world. And i And over and over and over again, through a variety of things for the last 45 years, I've had those experiences with Jesus. There have been lots of times where it's been silent and where it's, um, where there's more questions than answers or more questions than comfort. But um, that's my story. I love Jesus and I'm here. That's actually a good transition because, Marcus, I wanted to ask you, I mean, Danielle started talking about calling. Last week, Tom shared a little bit about being in church leadership. And you've actually been employed by a church yeah. and then, uh, unfortunately, disemployed by a church. Yeah. And Radar, then finding right yourself um, through... Calling, with a whole group of people. With a whole yeah, group yeah. of people, yeah. yeah. No, no, it's, it's, been, a, <laughs> it's been a journey. Um, and now you're coaching um, mm-hmm. and then going to school and getting your master's degree. It's, you've had this incredible journey. But one of the things I wanted to ask you is through kind of that journey, I've heard you wrestle, like, so to the wrestling question, I've heard you wrestle with what is your calling now? Like, as a follower of Jesus, 
um, feeling called in one particular direction, but then sometimes those ideas didn't pan out the way that you thought it was going to pan out. And so I'd love to hear you share a little bit more of your faith journey in the context of calling and vocation, because I've heard you share a little bit about that, and I'd, I'd be kind of curious how you're processing and how, how does that inform your faith and your journey and your identity as a Christian? Okay, um, that's, a, that's a very good question. So I guess the answer is like right now I'm coaching Menlo College Women's Wrestling, and prior when I used to be a youth pastor, not really used to be, but, you know, the calling kind of never leaves you. I, mm-hmm. um, I like, you were my boss, Kevin, so <laughs> kind of you let me coach at, at, at old high school, so I, I was kind of cool always being around younger people, and I found myself having conversations with kids at a public high school that I would be having with kids in the youth group, mm-hmm. and the, the, the transition was, like, really seamless, and I wasn't, and I actually didn't go there to be like, oh, I'm going to convert you kids. It was because I, like, I went to a very large public high school, very ethnically, religiously diverse Sikh kids, uh, like uh, within Punjab, a lot of Muslims, Catholic. I mean, it was a lot. So I knew that, okay, you just got to coach. But the kids would ask me questions all the time. I'm like, oh, all right. Um, but I just kind of just took it all with a grain of salt. In addition, part of my story I didn't necessarily clarify is that uh, I think a wrestling coach who had, had a functioning marriage kind of said, oh, Jesus is the reason why I'm married and stuff. So I've always kind of carried that ethic with myself and knowing that your life, just whatever you do, like if you're a software engineer or whatever, your life is, is going to like, if you walk with Jesus, it reflects it no matter what you do or wherever, wherever you are. And so right now I struggle with, um, I'm getting the master's degree in clinical psych uh, with emphasis to be a marriage and family therapist. And I kind of picked that. Uh, the reason why I chose that, though, is because of working as a, a pastor mm-hmm. at a large church. You end up counseling people. And when you're not formally trained, you're like, I don't know what to do. And then I would be asking people that, and they would give me these biblical answers. And I knew that, like, I don't, I don't think that that's what the Bible meant, you know. For, <laughs> like, I just, I, I kind of knew. So I knew that there were other things that went along there. And there are people who, you know, the churches. It's a great place, but we sometimes spiritualize like mental illness, or not maybe mental illness, but depression and anxiety. And I think there's not a there's not a place yet for it. Um, but somewhere along that line, I discovered coaching, and uh, well, not discovered it. I'm good at it. Like I, we're part of a team that that's really really good. So I struggle with the idea of like I love coaching. We want to win national championships, and we're the Olympic trials and Olympics are in 2020 and, and, and being close to it. And I've always felt called to do both, mm-hmm. but I thought that it was going to be like, I was going to coach for, well, my original plan of thinking, I was going to coach for a little bit, then work in a church. Then it was like flip where I was working in a church. Mm-hmm. And then I started coaching, doing both. I'm like, this is great. My life is perfect. I didn't want to, nothing to change. And then, well, <laughs> Things changed, and uh, <laughs> a lot. And for those of you who don't know, there was just some leadership changes and went through several shifts, and my job kind of got laid off, and I felt down. I didn't feel, I really felt horrible, like, um, that why God would take this away. And I felt, and in coaching, I was feeling miserable just because, you know, when, I don't know if you guys ever feel like when one part of your life feels bad, 
the other part goes bad. So it's like everything feels like it's going bad and you're questioning, why am I doing this? This is, you know, and the only thing you're hanging on to in those moments is your, your faith and your praying and you don't know what's going on. So in the, in the midst of that, just started uh, somewhere transitioning to coaching the young women and it just was a fit going to school and, and it's a fit. And this fall, I end up uh, at Woodside High School for um, That's so cool. to uh, start practicum. So I, that'll be interesting. But I, I get scared all the time just because I read the Bible and I'm reading about mental health and people don't like change. And so I don't like change too. And I feel like God does these like some, not really seismic shifts, but he's just like, all right, time to get up and move. And, and I'm even beginning to develop this kind of weird theory that I don't think human beings were meant to stay static for long. I think we're meant to get up and, and move and go, and we just meet God where we're at. So mm-hmm. why am I still a Christian in, in that context? It was, there ain't nothing else to kind of do, but am I scared? Yeah, because I love coaching. I'm like, Jesus, please don't let me not coach, or at least, you know, mm. or this, this, and, and this is what I've said, <laughs> and I, I'm willing to move where Jesus moved, but please, Jesus, don't move me to Montana. Like, like <laughs> Move me to Florida, maybe, you know, but like, you know, but don't move me to Montana. I just, you know, or just Wyoming, Great Plains State. I just, I mean, I've been there. It's cool. And if you love hunting and all those, this is great. Go hunt, shoot a deer, (laughs) do what you got to do. It just doesn't look friendly for myself (laughs) and people who look like me. (laughs) You have one of the most profound philosophies that I've ever heard of somebody who thinks about sports through a faith lens. And I've heard mm-hmm. you articulate this through the years, and, and both you and Kendra have really brought a really profound philosophy of athleticism and sports. If you could just summarize, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in sports where, if, I, if I'm honest, some of the, the ethics that you're supposed to do in sports, like competition and winning and beating other people, yeah. Uh, that that seems to be a, a tension, and I would love to hear if you could just summarize how do you manage that, or how do you think about that? Yeah, so I don't manage that. I, I, <laughs> I like to win. Uh, no, um, no um, it's a constant tension because I do think that, like, like and this is with anything, I think that God kind of calls you in those particular moments, but I manage the tension by understanding that God met me with a wrestling coach. God's met me with other people, and it's it's a hook. And also, like reading the Bible, mm-hmm. like dude, you, you, Jacob wrestled an angel. Like that's not mentioned. Like, he, didn't, he didn't pick up a ball. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he wrestled for it, you know. Um, but but the, the I guess the the real philosophy is is I think that like God gifts us in other areas to communicate, and we find our passions and loves and strength. And so because of that, I'm able to kind of manage that. And, and also I feel like I want to do, I want to be the best. And, and, um, there's a lot of things in there that God kind of calls us to do and and push as, as a coach, we push our athletes to bring their best out of them. And we do it in a way where with integrity, I don't believe in winning at all costs. Mm -hmm. I honestly believe that like, Mm -hmm. you know, I pray for each and every one of our athletes, the coaches we coach with and, and we are just incredibly fortunate and blessed. And to be honest, Spark is very much a part of what we do, that, that community. Like, I know mm-hmm. that we don't, I know that our team doesn't do as well as we do without prayer, without mm-hmm. pe- people to keep me in line. Because I know there was a couple of times I didn't want to choke another coach. <laughs> <laughs> just, 
They like, <laughs> they, they philosophically, we see the world differently. And they will tell you that. And it's yeah. hard to hmm. keep Jesus in the moment. You know, you're like, I, I'll hit you in the face. But, you know, well, I don't want to hit you in the face. But, you know. Please ask another question. Okay. <laughs> My wife is ducking everything. Danielle, you uh, have been <laughs> tremendously engaged with social and political issues being a voice for the, the things that are going on. We got this email um, that I thought this would be a great forum for you to respond to. So here's, here's the brief summation of the email. <laughs> a friend of mine came home tonight after 11 p.m. severely distraught because of a presentation oh, done oh. by people who serve at IJM for sex trafficking victims. She felt more than shocked, more than saddened, and pretty helpless, and maybe even hopeless, hating the world. I didn't know how to help her with her feelings, even though I'd been there before. We talked a little bit about tears and empathy and the Holy Spirit, and I still believe feeling for the world's suffering is really important. Sometimes I feel that way my friend did, maybe even often. But how do we balance on the line between love and empathy and diving headfirst into helplessness in the face of the world's countless problems? Do you think there's a point that empathy becomes more intrusive and counterproductive than helpful? How do we pick the issues that we want to battle? How do we feel sad for the world while retaining undying hope? And you continue to push, um, <laughs> even in the midst, in, in the face of that. Um, and even just to confess, sometimes I feel exactly like this. Like, uh, uh, you know, the starfish on the beach. There's just so many things. But you, you have maintained this faithful commitment. So I, I'd love for you to respond to the email and share a little bit about how your faith in Jesus, I suppose, influences your thinking and your active uh, nature in participating in these issues. I don't know why I'm getting emotional. Um, I think it's because uh, we've been married 20 years, that's all. Like, some nice, thanks, thanks, honey. That was <laughs> nice of you to say. Because um, I think sometimes when you, when something starts to break your heart, and then you want to share that with somebody else, sometimes you just get that blank stare back. Or the stare back of like, okay, she's just talking about that again. I don't know. Um, when I was young, I had a Save the Planet t-shirt and I wore Birkenstocks, but I was also very fiscally conservative. So I had this mix of like spanning across all of the spectrums that you might see fit. So I think some of us today might look at the issues of concern around the world and decide that those are issues that belong into one political party versus another. Whatever, whatever the issue might be. And I think we've tried to reject that and called it gospel justice rather than social justice. And I think for me, that's what continues mm -hmm. to settle back into the hope part, which is that I don't think that these things are um, needs that the world has that I want to rush to fill. I think that more than that, they are commandments that Jesus gives us to care for those who are marginalized and hurt, um, to care for the brokenhearted, to care for those who are mourning, um, and to step into those things. I think there's a tendency, so I, um, I tear up easily, as you've already noticed. Um, and the reason I think in, in the church fathers, they would talk about that as being a gift of the Holy Spirit. I used to reject this response that I have right now, which is that, you know, you particularly when you want to be a woman and you want to be taken seriously and all of those things, um, and you're, you end up being in a community or a place where you get passionate about something or passionate about the lives of the students in your midst. And I tend to be a fairly passionate person, 
when it comes to those issues of justice, um, those gospel, um, biblical issues of justice. And I've had a lot of people respond by saying, you need to calm down. Um, You're getting too excited. Uh, Let me give you a word of advice. You'll get further if you can be less passionate but more pragmatic in that response. And, and I understand that that comes from a good place, I'm hoping, um, where people are trying to tell you either you're not going to make a difference. I mean, I think that's what's behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get too worked up because it's not going to change anything. And I remember as a kid saying to my mom, like, well, I'm going to go change the world. And she was like, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, because that's, what you, that's mm-hmm. what you know when you're in your 40s. You know that you aren't. Um, and fair enough, Jesus is the one that changes the world. Um, but I still think I have that in me that because of the resurrection and because of the life of Jesus, because of that love of Jesus, because of the place that you can ask for forgiveness every weekend and come back and be made new again, that there's hope to be shifted and changed even in the oppressor, the person that is oppressing the people, the trafficker, that person is also God's child, and that God deeply hurts for that person. That it's Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. We have so many examples throughout our biblical text of God's deep compassion and care and concern for those on the marginalized, and God's constant pursuit of righteousness and justice for those on the edges. That I don't feel personally like it's something I'm permitted to stop caring about. And yes, there's a place where you can feel like it's hopeless. And I would say in those moments, then what I found most hopeful and most helpful is to turn it into action. Um, And I'll use uh, Ruth as our recent example. Ruth's joined Spark recently and is a caseworker at IRC. So she helps uh, refugees relocate into the United States. And we've been very overwhelmed and we've talked about it for years at spark with the refugee crisis going on in the world and how do we respond and we've sent a board member and members to try to go to greece to figure out how to respond and we've been trying to figure out all these different ways and you as a spark community have risen to the occasion and you raised more than forty thousand dollars for world vision's response for refugees and all of that and i think what um has made me so help hopeful is that like with ruth's now um arrival into our community she has given us the opportunity to now start to share. And you've done that. You've donated and supported this newly arrived refugee family from Afghanistan. And it's been such a joy for me personally to know them because now it doesn't feel like it's on the news anymore. Mm -hmm. Now it's right here. Mm -hmm. And I can look at this mom and we don't share any words because we don't share a language, but we can just hug each other and we can play with the kids and we can share that joy. And there's so much hope there. And when the synagogue here partners with us, so Jews and Christians welcoming a Muslim family into the community, come on. Like, so I think it's, it's back to Mr. Rogers, also a pastor of mine, look for the helpers or do some good. So if you feel overwhelmed, do some good. And it can be very small to very large. And it could be attached to the issue or not attached to the issue. But buy somebody a coffee that week. Make eye contact with somebody. Sit down and share a meal with somebody that's lonely. Any good that you can do, because that's what does you good and keeps you and I buoyant in that process of constantly um, walking with those who are, are hurt. That's beautiful. Okay, 30 seconds each to close because we are out of time. Um, 
why are you a Christian? How would you respond? I would say um, the biggest thing is the unideal because um, it, the contentment through the unideal, you know, like me and my wife don't have children right now. We've been married for 11 years, unideal. Still, Jesus keeps me with that contentment. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Thought I had the vocation of a dream, unideal, but it's like through that unideal is where I see Jesus the most mm-hmm. and where that contentment and everything kind of keeps me pushing and keeps it going. So the unideal and just that sense of awe and wonder, like why not follow Jesus? Why not? Yeah, I guess the why not, because there is, I don't know what's going on, on the other side. Like, yeah, sure, heaven, whatever. But like the awe and wonder of like 2,000 years ago, we still have this example. We get to carry that out every day. Mm. So the unideal and the awe and wonder. Nice. It's beautiful. Danielle? Um, I'm a Christian because I've had an experience with the resurrected person of Jesus. And so that experience continues to shape and drive and change me. Um, And I think um, that experience is available to anybody who asks. And, And lastly, it would be not just that, but that the life lived well. Um, when you look at how Jesus loves and how, what Jesus teaches, when you really look at that, uh, for me, particularly in a first century Jewish context, it changes everything for me of how I want to love others and how I want to welcome others. And so in Jesus, uh, particularly like Luke 15 and the parable of lost things and Jesus's radical teachings um, are just that if you are on the outside, if you are feeling lost, you are now found and you are welcomed in and you get a seat at the table and we all get to be here together. And then Jesus throws a party because Jesus is so happy you're here. That you, are, you and I are deeply loved and that the Father's deep love for you and me Um, can carry all of the hurt and the pain in this world. And it can give us the opportunity to share that love with others. Um, So beautiful. Hey, would you guys uh, join me in thanking Marcus and Danielle for sharing? (laughs) 